Hello everyone and welcome to another raw tidbit of about a dog. I'm Ashley. Michael's at work so I figured it's rainy. It's kind of gloomy here so I record a little bit. On this raw tidbit I'm gonna cover what you should look for when obtaining a dog from either a responsible breeder or a responsible rescue. Hear it about a dog, we don't care where you get your dog from, just that you do it responsibly and that you are a responsible dog owner. So I'm going to start with rescue first since that tends to be a hot topic. Obtaining a dog from a rescue is a labor of love. It is not something to go into lightly. Um, a lot of dogs, especially older dogs or hounds in particular are there because they have some sort of temperament issue or they didn't have the best start in life or were heavily hunted had to fend for themselves all of those things and with that in mind whenever you go to a rescue be it municipality owned or privately owned you should ask where your dog came from, where the dog that you were looking at came from. If it came from within that area, great. If it came from overseas, or if it was brought in from another state, at that moment, you should demand all records, veterinary history, anything like that, because what we're seeing in some rescues is dogs are being brought over from overseas from very disease-ridden countries where certain diseases are endemic, like rabies. A brand new strain of distemper was brought over recently from a rescue bringing dogs over from overseas. And um, canine influenza, the most recent outbreak, was from... Asia. And so the moment that you find out that your dog is not local and was not found locally, then you need to ask questions. You need to ask one, how long has it been in that facility? If it has been in there less than 30 days, do not adopt that dog. Number two, you should ask for valid and the originals of the vaccine records, meaning the ones where you can actually see the stickers, the batch information, you need to ask for that. Because another thing that we're seeing is some rescues are actually being fraudulent about vaccine records, being fraudulent about health records. So you need to see the originals. You need to be aware that Things are happening that are not on the up and up, even though it's a rescue. So you automatically think, oh, they're doing the great thing. They're doing the right thing. No. Some of them see how much of a moneymaker rescue has turned into and are doing things on the cheap and are doing things that are less than appropriate. So another thing is you should be able to see their kennel facilities walk through them and look at how each dog is being kept, each how each dog is cared for. 
if you're walking into their kennel facilities and you see poop on the floor, that's a problem. If you see pee on the floor, that's a problem. If you do not see adequate cleaning supplies readily available, that's a problem. If all of the dogs in that rescue are in foster, that's a problem. The main reason that if you have a rescue where all the dogs are classified as in foster, what that does is it makes it to the point where you cannot visit their facilities. Visiting their facilities is so critically important because it lays the groundwork of how clean and how well these dogs are cared for. Just because they're a rescue does not mean that they are used to certain things so they have to be treated this way. No. If anything, they should be going through an extensive rehab program, basically akin to what some of the more popular retired racing greyhound uh, facilities go through. They go through extensive rehab because they realize that these dogs are not used to certain pet homes, and so they get them used to stairs, sliding glass doors, various different things. That is what I expect from all foster homes. A foster home should never be a situation where there's more than one or two foster dogs at a time because fostering is such a huge, huge commitment that they need their one-on-one -on -one support. And again, it's a, fostering is supposed to be rehab. It is supposed to provide good outlets so that the dog can learn what it's supposed to behave like in a pet home. Fostering is never supposed to be a basically way to get around having clean facilities. And unfortunately we're seeing that a lot in certain areas where there have more than a hundred dogs up for adoption, but they only have like six dogs in their facility that raises some alarms and there are a few in the state of Virginia that fall under that category. Um, another thing with rescues and how you obtain them, they should be able to provide you with support. If they do not provide you with support anytime that you need it, then they're not responsible at all. They, should be able to provide you with behavioral assessments. Because if a rescue is providing a dog up for adoption, they should be able to tell you what that dog's temperament is like, what that dog may need, it may need to have some additional training, may struggle with, that sort of thing. They should not go in and say, oh, this dog is perfect no matter what, no, no. No dog is perfect. Every single dog has issues. And a responsible rescue should be able to tell you that, even from the age that they are adopting out a puppy. Temperament testing is critical. And I understand that rescues that are adopting out puppies, they may not know what they're gonna look like as an adult, but they sure should be able to tell you if this puppy was found on the street if this puppy was brought in with a litter and had litter mates and had adequate socialization as a litter mate, or if it was a situation where it was born in the shelter 
due to pregnant mom or what have you, they should be able to provide that information for you. And that gives you a huge, huge idea on socialization and what you need to work on and what you may not need to work on. And the rescue should be able to tell you that because the big thing about responsible rescues and a responsible breeder as well is that they should be your source for accurate information. If you are asking statistics on what is their adoption rate, what is their return rate, what is their policy on returns, they should be able to have that information within 10 minutes of you asking that question. The return rate is key. If the return rate is abnormally high, meaning more than 50% of their dogs are returned, run away as fast as possible. Another thing that we are seeing is a flipping model. Is some rescues are basically setting up owners for failure so that the dog can be returned to them and then the rescue makes another profit from the adoption. Because another thing is look at the return policy. If it's a 30-day return, do you still get your adoption feedback? To me, if it's a 30-day return and you haven't had the dog for a month, you better get all of your adoption paperwork, adoption fee, vet bills, all that stuff. You better get it all back because that 30-day window is a truly testing window. You're not going to find out whether you want a dog click within a week. You need to get to that point where they understand your routine, whether you can work with this dog or not. So if a rescue is saying, oh, you've only got a week, no, no. Again, they are not being responsible. To me, it should be about the dog first, not about the rescue. So if they are saying that they can, you know, do a 30-day, great. Make sure it's in writing. Make sure it's in your adoption agreement because there's also been other situations where they have verbally agreed to something and then the adoption paperwork says differently. Another thing, when you're asking for history for rescues, watch them do a microchip scan. Demand it. With the issue of dog populations in the U.S. falling, dog thefts are on the rise. So there may be situations where you're looking at a dog in a shelter, and it may be totally innocent, it may not be, and they just haven't scanned for a microchip, or they didn't scan correctly, or they didn't use a universal scanner, what have you, if they are scanning and you hear the beep and then a number pops up and it's not that organization, that dog already has an owner. And you need to point that out to them. If they casually brush it off, call the police immediately. Because there have been multiple cases, especially within the last five years, of shelters knowingly inserting another microchip and so when an owner adopts a new dog they'll go to the vet have a microchip scan done for just pure identification purposes and the vet has a universal scanner so they're going to do the universal one they go in and then they go beep beep and lo and behold there's an older microchip there that's problematic because then it turns into a legal issue of who owns the dog, how legally was it obtained by that rescue, 
Was there documentation to prove and all of that stuff? It is just a heartbreaking situation for the new owner and for the older owner as well. And when I mean documentation, I mean if the dog is an owner surrender, then and there's a microchip, that owner needs to provide that microchip information to the rescue. That owner also needs to provide proof of ownership. Because again, there have been issues where people have been stealing dogs out from yards and then immediately turning them over to a rescue saying that they were owner surrender. That's not true. That's not appropriate. And it's also a way that some rescues get around what's known as a hold period. Certain states have mandated requirements for holds, meaning that if they find a dog that was a stray, they have to keep it for a certain amount of time and they have to make a concerted effort to find the owner. And that's the key part is concerted effort. If they keep it in a back room and nobody knows that it's there, then that's not a concerted effort. Concerted effort means that they keep the dog in a certain area. They check for microchip. They check lost dog boards. They check local veterinary hospitals. They check anything and everything possible to try and get this dog returned to its previous owner. Even if that means posting on Facebook or posting on social media that this dog, that they have it in their facility. And oddly enough, that's how a lot of dogs are returned back to their home. It's because of social media and the power of social media, they figure it out. And so if a shelter has never done that or a rescue has never done that, then that should raise some red flags as well. So that's all I'm going to get into with responsible rescues. Basically, ask a lot of questions. Do your research. Now, going into responsible breeder territory. Responsible breeder territory, in many ways, is actually a little bit simpler than rescues. Rescues, you do have to question everything. Responsible breeders, well, you should know from the first couple of questions. First off, responsible breeders should be your key resource throughout that dog's lifetime. If they are not willing and are not open and honest about that, run away. They should also have what's known as a return policy. Now, a return policy for breeders is different than a return policy for rescues. A responsible breeder return should have a window of time that is a health guarantee for congenital issues. Usually it's between six months to a year and they will either offer you a replacement puppy at the next litter or return to you the amount that you paid for the dog. That's, return, that's part one of the return policy. Part two is more critical. Part two shows that this breeder stands behind their dogs and they stand behind the people that have their dogs. The second return part is that for any reason whatsoever that the owner cannot keep the dog, the owner must return it to the breeder and contact the breeder and make all efforts to get the dog back to the breeder, even at the owner's expense, not at the breeder's expense, at the owner's expense. That is a key point that breeders 
a responsible breeder should always be willing to take back a dog that they bred. Because you bred a dog and you brought it into this world for the entire life of that dog. Period. No questions. If a breeder is not willing to do that, run away. And that's actually one of the huge hallmarks that differentiate a rescue from a breeder. A responsible rescue from a responsible breeder, I mean. A responsible breeder stands behind them and stands behind those dogs for the life of that dog and every litter that they produce. Another thing is health testing. A breeder, a responsible breeder should do adequate health testing for the breed that they are breeding. And not only should they do adequate, in many cases, they should be looking for more and should be looking constantly and reviewing and educating themselves. If a breeder just blindly goes, oh, I do OFA hips and do elbows, they're healthy. No, no. In many cases, that's just checking the boxes. That's taking the boxes in my mind. If a breeder can say, oh, I choose to do pen hip opposed to OFA because it's a different test and it shows more accurate information in many cases than OFA for my particular breed, then that's a good sign because that tells you that this breeder has been researching. Or if the breeder says, oh, we do DNA testing we check for every single DNA test and we also do blood testing and blood banking so that if any new diseases crop up in the breed, then we can test. So it's this constant, really, you know, drive to make sure that they are producing the best and healthiest dogs no matter what. And another thing is amount of breeds. So this is where things get a little testy and this is just my opinion. If I am going to a responsible breeder and they have three or four different breeds, they are not a responsible breeder in my mind. Because how can you honestly be an expert? Because that's what a responsible breeder is, is an expert on, I mean, four or more breeds. How? Because I'm always learning something new about my guys. Always. Without a doubt, I'm always learning something new about Teddy Roosevelt's, and I love learning. So if you have, say, four or five different hounds, so like if you have Bassets, Beagles, Harriers, American Foxhounds, and English Foxhounds, using this as an example, I honestly don't know anybody who does this, then that should actually raise a few alarm bells because... English foxhounds and American foxhounds are two totally separate breeds and have different histories, different needs, hunt on different terrain, have different temperaments, same with beagles and bassets. So it can be a little muddly and confusing in my mind. Another thing about that is a, a few people that I know will be able to produce one or two litters a year because it's hugely time consuming. But if they have four more breeds and they're producing one or two litters a year, that's insane. That's a lot of dogs. That's a lot of puppies. That's a lot of time commitment there. And also when you go to a responsible breeder, you're also anticipating accurate evaluation 
accurate evaluation of structure, of temperament, of all of these things. And to me, if you've got one litter of puppies that you're going through right now, then three weeks later, you've got another litter of puppies and it's just this constant rotation, breeders can get confused. So to me, if I was looking for a dog from a breeder, and in many cases I am, I look to see how many litters that they've produced within the past five years. I look to see how many breeds they have, the health testing, and another key point is titles. And titles by the puppy owners that do not live with the breeder and the titles of dogs that live with the breeder. Because if the breeder's producing so many puppies over and over and over again, you can get a situation where the breeders are not showing their stock adequately and are just focused on churning out puppies, red flag. And also another red flag is if the puppy homes are not doing anything with their dogs. It is totally normal to have pet dogs and, you know, a couple dogs out of a litter. They're just pets. They hang out on the sofa, what have you. Totally normal. But if every single dog is like that, then that's a problem. So, for example, the litter that I bred in 2014, every single one of those dogs has titles. And some cases, multiple. As of right now, we're looking at about, for four puppies, close to 10 titles out of that entire litter. And what titles mean is the commitment with your dog. And in many cases, it actually showcases that they can do what they were bred to do, that they meet confirmation standards for that particular breed, that they have adequate temperaments. And that is so critical to have that title and to look back and say, oh, this dog has a CGC. Then that means that that dog has been tested by the AKC to have adequate things that lend them to be a canine good citizen. It is not an overarching temperament test, but it can give you an idea if a dog has a champion title, grand champion, or for rare breeds, a CM title, then that tells you that that dog meets the breed standard of that particular breed. If a dog has any other performance titles like a weight pull title, agility titles, obedience, rally, dock diving, barn hunting, lure coursing, all of those various different titles, then that tells you Number one, that there's a commitment between owner and dog. Number two, that the owner really enjoys doing things with their dog. And the last thing is depending on the outlet and depending on the sport, it shows that they have the instincts to do what they were bred to do. So the last thing is personal relationship. The whole issue with responsible breeders is that they should be your ally. Ally, sorry. They should be your ally, they should be your expert, they should be your mentor, they should be your cheerleader. They should never, ever, ever 
stab you in the back. They should never do things that would be not appropriate for someone that they supposedly trust because obviously if you are buying a dog from them, then there's a level of trust there. So the big thing is on top of everything else, do you like this person? Do you like this breeder? Are they open? Are they honest? Are they upfront with you? And if you're showing with them or you're getting breeding stock, there's an even bigger commitment there. Do you, are you guys friendly? Do you have a level of trust in this person? So that if anything should happen or if you have questions or if you're breeding a dog that comes from their stock and it's 2 a.m. and the dog's in the middle of labor and you're scared and freaking out, can you call them to help just put you at ease? That is what you should look for in a responsible breeder. And responsible breeders are supposed to be the backbone of the dog world. It's not rescues. It's not pet food companies. It's not any of that. It's responsible breeders, then responsible owners. Responsible breeders are supposed to be your experts. They're supposed to be the guidepost. They're, the, they're supposed to be the champion that all of the dog world needs. So we're supposed to put responsible breeders up on a pedestal. And they have to keep that trust. They have to maintain it. They have to be good people. In many cases, in many breeds, it's not happening. So you have to, have to, have to be totally honest. If you are breeding a litter and being a responsible breeder, every single dog that you sell, you must be willing to, especially if they're breeding stock, you must be willing to stand behind that dog and to stand behind that person because it's a team situation. It is not a case of, oh, I bred that dog. Yeah, you did. But if that dog earns a dock diving title, or if that dog earns a rally title, or upper level confirmation, you have to understand that there's a commitment that that owner, thank the owner. Like for example, Alice has a trick dog title. The breeder had nothing to do with that. It was a teamwork between Alice and I. That's how it works. Because there are certain titles that you can say, oh yay, congrats to the breeder too, like confirmation because the breeder did have a lot to do with that. But rally? Meh, probably not. Agility? Maybe. But things where it requires a huge bond and teamwork between owner and dog, that breeder better be clapping and shouting from the rooftops because everything that the owner does with that dog is a good reflection on the breeder. So I'm going to wrap it up because I've been chatting for like almost 30 minutes now. Um, if you have any questions, if you think I missed something, what have you, please send an email to aboutadogpod at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram at aboutadogpod. Find us on Twitter at aboutadog1. We're on Facebook. Just search for aboutadogpodcast. Uh, 
Um, we're also on Patreon. Search for About a Dog. And if you are a dog-related company, wish to sponsor with us, please shoot us an email at aboutadogpod at gmail.com and we can go over stuff. Thank you so much to our listeners. You guys are awesome. Um, And most importantly, go hug your dog.